Good afternoon and welcome to the Tech Central podcast. My name is Daniel Robus. I'm your host for today's episode. And in our virtual studio, we have Sean Sanders from Revix, a regular guest now because this is episode three of the series of four, bringing us up to speed on crypto, all things crypto, and how we can buy ourselves financial freedom through other means. I'm not going to fanboy out today, Sean. It was a big episode last time, but I've gone to Cape Town and it's not that amazing. The mountains are big. We should have put up a couple of houses. No, I'm joking. I've uh, just returned and I must say it's an absolute privilege to spend time in the mother city. Have you had a busy Monday now that we are almost at the end of November, 29th of November? Hey, Daniel. 29th of November. It feels like we've had 29 Mondays this month. Not bad days, just super busy days. So not complaining at all. I mean, as a business, we've skyrocketed this last year. I think we've grown almost a thousand percent since the first of January. So, you know, as a founder of a business, you sort of pinch yourself every day when this is happening. I'm just very grateful for what you've achieved. That is amazing. How are you dealing with the change around the office? What's the vibe like? How are you keeping the the new employees part of that Revix culture, which I know you hold so highly? doing a lot of different things, I suppose, because we do have a lot of new faces around the office. I think having people buy into the culture, as in, you know, you're the ones, every single person within the business, forming this culture. So your attitude when you walk in the door, what is it? You know, how do you interact with other team members? It's not just how you communicate, but it's also, you know, what you're saying. Like if you're wanting to be a negative Nancy, leave that at home, like really come into the office with positive vibes. I mean, I can go through a list of 101 different things, but it's tricky. I think keeping culture as your business grows and scales is incredibly challenging. I'm certainly faced with that challenge today. And I can't say I've got the solution just yet, but I'm working on a whole bunch of different opportunities and, you know, hopefully one of them pays off quite nicely. Brilliant. You know that we've been watching your growth. You've been all over here. Can I ask you what keeps you grounded? Because you haven't got an ego yet. And I'm hoping it never comes. I hope you stay honest to Sean. But what keeps you grounded that doesn't allow these newspaper headlines and these podcasts that are going about you and all things to become all about Sean? <laughs> um, I, I, well, how do I respond to that? Firstly, I, I don't believe that this has been my success. This has definitely been our success as Revix. And I'm not just saying that. It takes 101 people to build a business like this. And it has taken 101 people, literally, to build a business like this. Lots of money's come in. I've had investors that have supported me along the way. I mean, it's been sort of everyone that's built this so far. It's not really just me. You know, I'm leading the ship and sort of saying, well, listen, this looks like a good direction. That looks like a good direction. And I mean, that's going to be what I'll be doing into the future. I think ego comes about, it seems, at least in my opinion, you know, when you think you're the one that's doing it and you're the one that's, you know, you, people are disposable and you can sort of just, you know, do everything yourself. And fortunately, my mindset's certainly far from that. I really know that I, I deeply know that I couldn't achieve what we've achieved today without my team. Awesome. Awesome. I'd like to meet them one day. They sound like a really awesome bunch of people. And I must say the correspondence that's coming out from the company is engaging and easy to read and easy to understand. It's really written for me. It's not written for someone with an MBA and a finance track in mind, which is applaudable. You've been on a number of panels and you've been in a number of news places. Not only I don't have exclusive interview rights with you, 
<laughs> and you were on an RMB panel talking about the future of finance. What was that all about? That's getting very formal. Oh, yeah. No, no. This is getting a lot more serious and a lot more fun, actually. So <laughs> decentralized finance is this one area of the crypto world that's really grown over the last 12 months. I mean, I was on another podcast about 12 months ago, and I remember saying, hey, listen, this DeFi thing is growing. DeFi is short for decentralized finance. At that point in time, there was maybe about $600 million that was locked away in these different DeFi protocols. And I'll talk a little bit about what a DeFi protocol is in, in a moment. And you know, over the next six to eight months, it just blew up. And I'm talking now you're sitting at between 70 to $80 billion that's sitting within these DeFi protocols. And now what is decentralized finance? So another term for decentralized finance is open finance. And the idea is really looking at the traditional financial system today and saying, okay, well, how do we do everything that the financial system does without all of these intermediaries? So how do we remove the bank? How do we remove the insurance company? How do we remove the loan broker, the property broker, all of these different things? And when you start looking at programs, you know, just like those that you can have on your, on your phone, you go, okay, well, maybe this is actually possible. Maybe you can do like peer-to-peer -peer loans, or maybe you can do peer-to-peer -peer insurance. And this is ultimately what's happened. You've had these protocols, which is a fancy name of really just saying programs that have been built that run on top of blockchains that enable myself, Sean, together with maybe another thousand people around the world to give you, Daniel, a loan. And that is an unsecured loan whereby we would be earning interest for lending you this money and you'd be paying us this interest. But this all happens in a decentralized fashion, meaning that there isn't a single bank that sits there going, okay, right, Daniel, you are credit worthy or you're not credit worthy. And we are the bank. We are going to be lending money. Instead, it's saying, well, no, listen, your credit worthiness is actually based on the collateral that you have. So here's a simple example. You could say, okay, right, I have one Bitcoin, right? One Bitcoin now is worth roughly around a million rand. I want dollars. I want a stable coin. I mean, stable coins are a version of dollars, really. So you can have one stable coin, one USDT or one USDC token, which is backed in by one US dollar. And you could say, well, I want that because, you know, I need to be able to live my life, but I don't want to sell out of my crypto. So you could go to, let's say, Aave or Compound, which is one of these decentralized money market protocols. I mean, now I'm getting all technical with financial jargon, but you can essentially go to one of these protocols, one of these programs and say, okay, right, I'm going to give you this one Bitcoin as collateral. I'm giving you the protocol, the program, this Bitcoin as collateral, and I would like to borrow some USDT. And I can go and borrow, say, 500,000 rands worth of USDT. So I've put up 1 million rands worth of collateral in the form of Bitcoin, but I've borrowed 500,000 rand in the form of USDT. Mm. Sean has been the one that's lent you the 500,000 mm. rands worth of USDT and I earn an interest from it. Now, should for whatever reason, Bitcoin's price plummet, you know, at least that collateral is there mm. and it's over collateralized. Mm. So this is the exact opposite of the current financial system where, you know, for every dollar that you put into, or every rand that you put into a bank, they lend out 99 cents. This is the exact opposite. For every one rand that gets put into one of these decentralized lending pools, 50 cents gets lent out. So, I'm getting carried away with sort of one particular area of DeFi, awesome. but, but it is, it's absolutely mind blowing when you start going, this entire system can work in a peer to peer fashion over blockchain networks without any intermediaries required whatsoever. And if you think about this, and this will be the last point I mentioned, I guess, just talking about DeFi in particular, you look at big cities, right? Any big city and the tallest buildings are insurers and banks. 
And there's a reason why those are the tallest buildings because they take so much money out of the system, right? Somebody's paying these banks, these institutions, and that is you. Every single time you take out a loan, every single time you take out a mortgage, every single time you do absolutely anything with your bank, they take money from you. And the same goes obviously for insurers and all the other financial intermediaries. Now, if there are programs that essentially reduce the friction and remove the middlemen, that's what DeFi is looking to accomplish. And that's why people are getting so excited about the space. And that must have gone down like the Zeppelin in an RMB discussion. What do you think the reaction is from formal banking sectors now? They want to be part of it, believe it or not. I mean, that's the interesting thing. Remember, a bank is never a single face. It's a whole bunch of people that want innovation to come about. But because of this big bureaucratic system, not much really happens at banks. I mean, that's unfortunately the case. But I think banks are waking up to the fact that they're not going to be around forever. And they're moving more into the sort of regulatory layer, if you want to call it that. So they enable fintechs like Revix and all these other sort of up and coming emerging financial platforms to operate on top of their banking platform. And okay. I think that's very really powerful. And I mean, RMB is certainly you know, thinking that way as a standard bank. That's amazing. So they have acknowledged that the game is changing and they need to get into that change in one way, shape or form so that they can facilitate that. What do you think that means for me? What does it mean for the everyday user? For the everyday user, and this is not going to be something that happens overnight, mm. but over time, financial services are going to become a lot more affordable. So currently, when you go and you take out, let's say, a mortgage, instead of you paying this ridiculously large origination fee to get this mortgage, that's going to cost you next to nothing. Why? Because there's going to be competition out there from these decentralized protocols. Okay. And there's so much jargon in the crypto space. I almost want to sort of rewind and go to the beginning and go, you know, forget about this DeFi term or forget about the idea of a protocol or any of that. It doesn't matter if there is competition in a market and you've got these sort of non-intermediary based systems, which is ultimately what crypto and blockchain are looking to build. Then all of a sudden you're reducing this friction, you're reducing all the costs and that's better for the end consumer at the end of the day. So I can go to the source of the money and I can get it before anybody else has to get in the way, adding on their extra layers for it. So if I'm essentially buying a house, I can get a loan on a house right from the originator of the money and therefore cut out those unnecessary costs. So when we talk around hedging against inflation, how does crypto then fit into that? Again, what does that mean for me as an individual? So inflation is one of these interesting things because you don't experience the pain all in one go. It's this gradual pain that you experience every year. The best way I can sort of describe inflation is when you go speak to one of your grandparents and they go, oh, you know, back in my day, I used to go to a movie for, <laughs> I don't know, five <laughs> cents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you used to be like, that sounds crazy. Ha, huh, grand, you're so funny. Or grandpa, like that's bizarre. But that's inflation. It's not that the movie ticket became more valuable or more expensive. I mean, sure, more expensive in RAND terms, but it was actually the RAND became worth less and less and less and less over time. And it's the same with every other fiat currency. So every other you know, currency that we know today, like dollars or pounds and all the rest. But it's okay. that slow drip, which eats away at your wealth. And it is a consistent sort of in South Africa between five to 10% inflationary drip that occurs every single year. So how does crypto protect you potentially against inflation? I mean, it's still the start really of this inflationary 
episode that we are experiencing. Uh, rewind three years ago, governments were struggling to get inflation to come back into the market because you need a healthy level of inflation. Having a price increase on an annualized basis by a small amount encourages the right amount of consumer purchasing in the market and investment and all the rest. So the world has sort of been aiming for this, and it depends on the country, but between, say, a 2 to 4% inflation rate every single year. And now all of a sudden, you've got all this money printing that's taken place. In fact, you've had 20% of the world's dollars that are in circulation printed within the last 18 months. Now, that's an insane characteristic. We've never been here before. And now that all that money that's floating around in the economy is now slowly starting to trickle down and get to the end consumers, to get to the businesses and all the rest. And now the spending is happening and you're seeing prices start to rise at a rapid pace. And I mean, if you start coupling that up with the supply chain issues we've been facing, the increase in oil prices, all of a sudden you've got sort of this perfect storm of I suppose it's not necessarily the risk yet of hyperinflation, mm. but we are looking now, okay, wow, maybe 7 or 8% inflation per year, 7 or 8% price rises every single year is then something that we're going to be experiencing. Mm. Bitcoin can protect you and certain other cryptocurrencies can protect you from that because they're deflationary, or at least in many cases, there's a fixed cap that exists mm. in place. As an example, you'll only ever have 21 million Bitcoin in circulation. Now, people go, oh, but you know, they're digital. You can just create more of them. No, you actually can't create more Bitcoin. You can go and you can create another digital currency, just like you can go create another digital copy of whatever photo you've got on your computer. It doesn't mean that that's still the original. And with Bitcoin, you know, because of its blockchain structure, you're going to have a, and you could know this right now if you had to go look it up. You've got an inflation rate of roughly around 1% a year because of all the new Bitcoin that enter the system. And they will end roughly in, I think it's 2125. That's when the last Bitcoin will ever be mined. So that deflationary impact of having less Bitcoin come onto the market every single year, that's what creates the sort of deflation or this inflationary hedge with Bitcoin. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So the crypto market is somewhere we can look at just to protect our wealth from a growth perspective and not being eroded away. So that exercise where we excess money, we should be looking at places to put this where it can be guaranteed growth. That's really going to be interesting discussions you're going to be having. Has this gone to the macro level? Are countries now adopting this? Oh, yes. This has happened with El Salvador. They've wow. adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. Now, what does that mean? That actually means that if you had to walk to a merchant on the street and say, listen, I want to buy this Coca-Cola. I want to buy whatever it may be. The merchant has to accept Bitcoin. They can't say no to accepting Bitcoin, which is a really big step forward. Now, there's other South American nations that are looking to accept Bitcoin as well as legal tender. There's even talks that Japan would be open to exploring Bitcoin as legal tender. And the thing is that should this, and who knows, right? This is still early days, but should this be a success? And should Bitcoin continue to grow in value like it's grown? Should more adoption happen where more countries adopt Bitcoin? It just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy over time where all of a sudden you've got more involvement and all of a sudden the network's used more and that drives prices up even mm. further. And then all of mm. a sudden other countries come on board and that drives more people onto the network. And you've got sort of this bubble up effect and it's not a bubble up to a point of exploding, but you've got this bubble up effect where all of a sudden you've got a lot of people at an accelerating rate entering the crypto space. And that's how it gets mainstream. I think when people stop talking about Bitcoin in the way that we talk about it today, that's when we'll know it's mainstream. So when it's in hushed tones and people don't know what's going on, it's still there. If we go back to El Salvador, 
are they on the cusp of doing what Norway did with the oil and generating huge value for their country because they're early adopters and they've got this? Or is it just another investor that's just made an easy way in? What do you predict for El Salvador? Oof, I mean, it is still very early days. Look, I think they've done something that's very bold. And if it pays off, it could completely revolutionize that country. I mean, they're actually looking at creating a Bitcoin city, believe it or not. And this is something that I'm not going to make up. They actually are looking to wow. have a tax free city that is powered by Bitcoin. And ironically, there will be a Bitcoin mining rig because then, remember, Bitcoin uses sort of what looks like computers or these yeah. GPUs really. ASICs, as they call them, that are solving mathematical equations. And really all it is is, you know, CPUs burning really hot and they require a lot of energy. Mm. But now the way that they're going to be powering probably one of the biggest mining rigs in the Southern Hemisphere is by putting a mining rig on top of a volcano, believe it or not. And that's something I'm not making up, right? So you'll have this geothermal electrification of this mining rig and essentially the Bitcoin that's produced from this mining rig will power the city. And yeah, it's too wild for words, but hey, listen, if you went back say 25 years and you said, hey, listen, Dubai, you know, country of yeah. oil yeah. Uh, or city of yeah. oil, should I say, you're going to build the tallest building in the world. You're going to build literally a world that exists as a landmass around it. People go like, you know, that sounds pretty nuts. Mm. I mean, I think it's pretty much mm. the same thing. Yeah. Mm. I can't wait to follow that. What do you think it means for us in South Africa? Where are we on this adoption program? We've got a lot on our plate at the moment. So Give me a little bit of good news. Come on, Sean. <laughs> Look, South Africans do like Bitcoin. I can tell you that. And they like yeah. crypto in general. I mean, we've got over 3,000 registered users, all of which are South African. So you've definitely got interest in this country. I mean, there's a bunch of stats that gets thrown around. And I don't know how true they are because there's no sort of formal census that's done in South Africa on what proportion of the population owns crypto or what proportion don't own crypto. But I can tell you right now with a depreciating currency, and I mean, the rand's taken one hell of a beating over the last few weeks and months, that's led to more people wanting to get dollar exposure or offshore exposure, just anything that takes them out of rands. And that's where crypto becomes quite appealing to the local market. And, you know, you've seen that accelerate over the last few weeks. I mean, as the RAND got to that 16 RAND 30 versus the dollar and this new variant that is meant to be the South African variant and all the rest. I mean, there is a lot of money moving into USD assets and Mm. crypto is one of those. And tell me, now that we're talking around investing in crypto, we're talking around how we're taking this to all sorts of areas in our life, blockchain, part of the supply chain, part of proof of who we are. The use cases are endless. How does the metaverse now fit into this growth? Is it an inhibitor? Is it an accelerator? Where does this fit in, do you think? I think it's an accelerator. And I mean, I think I must also just mention that I think that the metaverse has been around for a while. Only now is it something that we're really talking about. And you're seeing increasing investment into the space as well. So I don't know if Mr. Zuckerberg had all of this planned out. And if he did, he's a mastermind. But I think it's a bit more sort of just serendipity coming together. So, I mean... Facebook ultimately created a big portion of the metaverse, right? I mean, sure, the online gaming world was there before where people would sort of have their own avatars and they'd have players online. You'd have online chat rooms and forums. You had MySpace as well for a while. But it was really only when Facebook became a thing did people take their real-world persona and sort of create the digital replica version of that. And obviously, I mean, it's a slightly more refined sort of good highlight real vibe 
that you have with that digital persona. But that was the start, really, of this metaverse that we know today. And then from there, you had Facebook acquire Instagram and you had them acquire WhatsApp. You had them acquire Oculus. Now, Oculus is that headset that you can put on and essentially enter some sort of a virtual reality. And you've seen all these acquisitions and you've seen the strategy build out. Now, think about it. If you communicate with people, more often than not, you communicate through WhatsApp, Mm. right? I mean, that's Mm. a digital means of communication. If you repost stories about your life and, you know, celebratory moments and occasions, you are doing that through either Instagram or Facebook, generally speaking. Mm. So this entire digital persona that you have is now being created through these different, these Facebook entities or this meta entity now, because remember, Facebook's renamed to meta. And that's now all coming together to say, okay, right, well, Facebook's now positioning itself as the one to spearhead what this metaverse could be like. Mm. So all of a sudden, you know, going to concerts that wouldn't be necessarily in person would happen online, perhaps through Oculus headset. I mean, you've seen Travis Scott recently have two concerts. And I mean, uh, Kanye West released his first album or his last album, should I say, through online metaverse, right? Through Mm. a digital Mm. universe. And all of a sudden, you've got big luxury brand names, the likes of LVMH, which owns Louis Vuitton and Moet You've got Kering, which owns Gucci and Balenciaga and a few other big brands. They're CEOs. And I mean, these are the most luxurious companies in the world. The names of the biggest names that exist out there, right? You've got the likes of Cartier falling into that and all the rest. They're coming out to talk about this metaverse actually requiring digital luxury goods. And I mean, being able to walk around with, say, your Louis Vuitton gun or your Gucci shoes within a video game is now something that's actually being spoken about, right? Being able to buy skins for your character was so 2010. All of a sudden today, it's actually being able to take the real world and, you know, all the ostentatiousness and luxuriness that you have in the real world and apply that then to the metaverse. And then you go one step further, and this is where things start getting a bit weird. If that's not weird enough, because I think that is pretty weird to start with. But now we're entering a world as well where you may actually build a virtual home in the digital world. Okay. So now you want to build this virtual home. Who designs it for you? Okay. Right. Maybe you hire an architect or a digital designer that then goes and builds that for you. How do you pay them? Do you pay them in the physical world or do you pay them in the digital world? And all of a sudden along comes crypto because crypto at the end of the day is sort of the currency of the internet. And all of a sudden, then that's where crypto comes in. Now, perhaps you don't have enough money to pay this digital architect and you need a loan. So how how do you go do that? Back to our little DeFi world. You go and find a digital loan where somebody is able to lend you some money. And all of a sudden you go and you loan money to this architect and they then go and build this house. Maybe you're really wanting to look like you're a wealthy guy or girl in this digital world. And you go hire a bunch of people to be your posse or to perhaps you know, do something together. Maybe you actually legitimately want to go out and fight characters in one of the games, but you need a higher group of people to do this. You need to still pay them, right? And you know, there's this whole entire economy that gets formed within this digital world. There's almost every single thing that you can imagine doing in the physical world that we know today could be replicated in the digital world, the making of music, mm. the resale of music property like literally goes through everything i mean sure the physical element's very different right you're not laying bricks or doing anything like that yeah but i mean a lot of today's work isn't physical labor it's the mental stuff and that's Mm. what matters and i think that's where it starts getting really weird and exciting because you know where do you stop there so so ready player one ready player one free guy we're going to be living in that world soon and paying for weekends away to go and have a shoot em up with the boys or a weekend in Prague where we never leave our homes is going to become a real thing because the AI and, and the virtual reality is getting so good. 
I think so. And I mean, maybe not to the extreme that people would see with Ready Player One. But I mean, if you are going to a funeral, as an example, and somebody's passed away in, let's say, Australia, and you're based in South Africa, I mean, you want to attend that as, I don't know, authentically and as in-person as you can. And if you are able to do that using some sort of augmented reality or virtual reality, I'm sure you'd choose to do that. So I think it's only natural that you'll see this extension of this virtual world sort of entering. Uh, So I guess that's maybe the best way to sort of sum everything up is I think it'll get a lot more, well, the lines will be blurred between what we know today as the normal travel around, do things and what the virtual world is like. I think those virtual experiences will become a lot more normal. Hmm. Sean, I've been reading science fiction and fantasy for a very, very long time. And when I look at the world, I think that the authors in my genre have just seen the future. And so it's not quite scary for me. It's more like told you so. So all of you who said we shouldn't be reading fantasy and sci-fi, take that. (laughs) And let's get back to Revix and what you guys are doing. November is traditionally a transactional month, people getting ready for December. And we've got insane sorts of specials going on driving transactions. This has been a strange year, though. How has Revix approached November? And and what's happened with you guys on Black Friday and Cyber Monday? And where are you going? Also, as a company, we experiment all the time with new strategies, tactics, you name it, in order to you know get people to hear about who we are. And this year, we decided, listen, we're not going to approach the marketing agency to assist us with some big campaign. We are going to go and literally say, guys, you know, this is the day of specials, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. These are actually the days that, you know, you wanting to get a good deal on something. So we've done two pretty cool things. Firstly, on Black Friday, a couple of days ago, we came out with sort of a, I mean, what would the right term be here? Make an investment and get a guaranteed return sort of thing. So if a customer came to us and they made an investment of say 10,000 Rand, we gave them 2,000 Rand, literally in cash, 2,000 Rand in their account. In fact, actually we paid out 750,000 Rand on Friday alone to customers. So an absolutely incredible day. So instead of money going to a marketing agency, we said, listen, you make an investment with us. We'll give you the money that we otherwise would have spent to bring you onto the platform. And that included our current customers. On Cyber Monday, we've launched another promotion, which is to say, refer a friend to Revex, and we're going to give you three times the reward that you ordinarily would get. Wow. So ordinarily, you would have received, I think, 300 Rand for referring a friend. And now we've increased that substantially. And I think it depends on sort of the number of friends you refer as well. And I say, I think, because the rates that our marketing team is churning out <laughs> new sort of promotions and all the rest, it's like sort of watch the space because I'm sure that there'll be something in the next few days. But no, it's been absolutely insane. I mean, the growth that we've sort of seen over the last while and also just the organic interest that people have in crypto is really off the charts. I mean, you know, people are starting to sort of wake up to the big opportunity that exists here. And while this market is worth $1.8 trillion today, I mean, they're going, oh gosh, like the idea of this getting to a $10 trillion market cap, which is comparable to gold, really isn't that far-fetched. Wow, that is massive. You know, I said it in the first time we met and I'll say it again, what Revix offers us is a way to buy our freedom. And if you are listening out here and you haven't yet gone onto the platform to have a look at crypto, it's not too late. Don't miss out. What Sean is offering and what the team is offering is a real alternative to a job just over broke. And, you know, the team's taken the time to make the interface really good and really easy to understand. Are we getting any adjustments in that this year or are those coming out in the next year? 
The dev team have literally been working nonstop over the last three months. And I'm, what's the date today? The 29th. So I think when you're listening to this, it may be the 30th or the 1st. We hopefully will have a mobile app out very, very soon. And that's sort of the next big development for us. We do have a DeFi bundle coming, a Meta bundle coming, wow. some really other exciting investable products. Because at the end of the day, I mean, our goal at Revix and our mission really is to say, hey, listen, you as an everyday person, you don't need to rely on other people to manage your money. Investing is actually not that out of reach. Now, don't get me wrong, investing in bonds, investing in private equity, venture capital, it is all out of reach at the moment. But our job is to sort of make all these alternative asset classes, as well as some more of the traditional asset classes, more accessible. So, you know, hopefully in the future, if you say, listen, I would love to invest in decentralized finance, we can make that a reality and make it really easy for you to do that. We don't want you to be irresponsible with your investing. We long-term greedy. We want you to be wealthy into the future and to be wealthy with us. So, you know, we always say start small. Don't overinvest. If you are waking up in the morning worried about your investment, you've got too much in that particular investment, take some money out. Investing is a long-term game. A lot of people want to get rich quick in crypto. I'm telling you right now that I don't know many people that have got rich very quickly in crypto. I know a lot of people that have got very rich over the long-term in crypto. And that's sort of the, well, that's what I apply to the crypto space. Look at the long-term and you know, look at that longer-term trend. And that's really what matters. I love what you said there, and you said it in our last podcast as well, long-term greedy. And I think greed has a negative connotation. What I've changed it to is a long-term outlook for financial freedom. And, and you know, the traditional ways have been shown to us. Our parents have all lived them. And if that's how you want to live, that's okay. But maybe there's an alternate option which could give you something a little bit quicker. So, Sean, that's a very exciting space to be in. I'm still quite confused by the metaverse, but generally my understanding is lower than most people. So when I understand it again, you know you've done a great job. Is there anything that you wanted to let everyone know as we're going into December? Any summary for a December message before we let you go? Yeah, I think maybe the last thing I'll say this year is then on to your last point, which is or at least trying to answer your last point and, and work around all the jargon that's within the space. I think... And I'm certainly guilty of this. When you enter a new industry, and that could be the crypto space, that could be AI, it could be one of all these different industries, there's loads of jargon to get over. But you know, navigating through that jargon takes a bit of time, and all of a sudden that becomes normal. Just like once upon a time, the idea of going www.something.com was weird, right? That's now part of our everyday lives. Or the idea of going to Twitter and putting in a hashtag and you know, having something pop up. That's all become normal. But at one point in time, it was really weird. And I would urge and recommend that whoever's looking to get into these spaces, not to be intimidated by the jargon, mm. you know, rather mm. dig in. There's lots of resources out there. You know, look at some of our old podcasts, listen to some of our old videos and all the rest. We've dug into a bunch of different topics. There'll be a few words here or there that'll be weird. But over the longer term, you know, the more you dig into the space, the more you'll know. And I think the more familiar everything will become. And that's maybe my challenge to you heading into 2022. Thank you, Sean. Sean Sanders, the head of Revix, the head of a young dynamic team that's really making an impact in South Africa. Thank you for giving us time. I think you did wrap up for December, but I think we've got one more podcast in the series just to wrap up the year. So I'm looking forward to what you've got for New Year's, what you're going to be doing with the team. Good luck for you for this last kind of push while everyone's still paying attention. Good luck for Cyber Monday. And as a real fan of what the team is doing, I just want to wish you strength, success, and a level head to get us through some interesting corona times. 
interesting world reactions. Let us carry on leading the way. So from my side, Daniel Robus, I'm going to wrap up and say, Sean, have a lovely Cape Town afternoon. I'm headed for a heartfelt storm, which is going to be magnificent. So I hope your afternoon is as good as mine. Great. Thanks, Daniel. Bye-bye.